Well, I invite you tonight to open your Bible with me to Psalm 85. Psalm 85, another of the Psalms of the sons of Korah. And in this psalm, the psalm, the writer looks back to a time when God was um, gracious, evidently gracious, and um, blessing his people in evident ways. And that now they've fallen into a time of spiritual lethargy and sin, and God seems to have turned his face away, and praying that the Lord would restore them, that there would be a spiritual revival, spiritual renewal among God's people. Let's give our attention to God's word, Psalm 85. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Let's once again ask the Lord to bless us. Oh God, as we open your word tonight, we do so waiting upon you, the God who spoke this word and the God who fulfills it in Christ and the God who fulfills it as you work in our life. And so, Lord, we pray that tonight you would, you would work and act on behalf of those who wait for you as we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've said, Psalm 85 is a psalm of restorative grace. Uh, restorative grace is the grace that we need uh, when we feel stuck in our sinful patterns, when we feel just spiritually lethargic, spiritually weak, when we find ourselves uh, just kind of wandering off on our own and, and knowing that we're not really walking close to the Lord in that sense. Uh, restorative grace is, is, is for that empty, lost feeling that you have after you've binged once again, on whatever it is that you turn to when you're sad or afraid or lonely or bored. Maybe it's social media and you just wasted an hour or two. Or maybe, maybe it's junk food and you've binged uh, on that comfort again. Or, or, or gossip, you just had to call somebody and, and just start talking about people. Or maybe it's pornography. What it, whatever it is that, that where you go, when, when you're weak, and then, and then how you feel after that, well, that, that's where this psalm is coming from. Uh, when, you, when you recognize that you're failing miserably as a Christian, and you know that only God can help you, uh, this is a psalm for people like you and, and like me. 
I heard a song last week by Lauren uh, Daigle. I'd never heard it before. Captures the concept well. Maybe you know it. It's called Hold On To Me. And uh, the lyrics just really got my attention. This is what she sings. Uh, When the best of me is barely breathing, when I'm not somebody I believe in, hold on to me. When I miss the light the night has stolen, when I'm slamming all the doors you've opened, hold on to me, hold on to me. Hold on to me when it's too dark to see you, when I'm sure I have reached the end. Hold on to me when I forget I need you, when I let go, hold on to me again. When I don't feel like I'm worth defending, when I'm tired of all my pretending. Hold on to me. When I start to break in desperation underneath the weight of expectation, hold on to me. Have you ever been there? I think if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably have. Maybe you're there tonight. Well, Psalm 85 is for people who need to be restored and who want to be restored, or maybe, maybe you're not even there yet. You just know you need to be. Well, Psalm 85 is, is for you. Mark Fatato in his commentary says, There are times in our spiritual life when it seems as if we have gone one step forward and two steps back. Now, such was the situation that gave rise to Psalm 85. The psalm recalls a past occasion when God's people experienced his restorative grace, but in their present circumstance, they stand in need of that grace once again. Uh, Psalm 85 is a prayer then for a revival, a prayer for renewal, a prayer for God to come close and for God to act and God to move, not just individually, but communally. It's a prayer for communal revival. The psalmist is remembering um, that the church of God needs revival and renewal as well. The, the history of the church, of course, shows a repeated pattern of times when uh, God was moving in power and the church was growing and people were being established in the faith and the lost were being gathered in. There was vibrancy and fruitfulness. There was spiritual uh, power at, at work and on display in the church. And then there's times of lethargy and times of apathy and times of worldliness, times of decay. And the church is in decline. And I I think we would all agree that the church in America, the church in the Western world, is by and large in decline. Fewer and fewer people attending, and even the churches, uh, I mean, do we really see deep godliness, a zeal for the Lord, and um, a missionary movement uh, being spawned by uh, the church of Jesus Christ in the West today? And And the answer is we really don't. There are exceptions, but on the whole, the church in the West is in a time of decline. But God is able and has shown to be willing over and over again in the history of the church to bring fresh winds of restorative grace. And, and to hear in Psalm 85, the, the, the psalmist is asking that God would do that in his day in their specific context. Uh, tonight we're just going to uh, go through the psalm. What does it look like when, uh, how do we pray for restorative grace? Maybe that would be a good way to, to ask the question. How do we do this? Well, the psalmist begins in verses 1 through 3, by remembering God's past mercies. We're not told the precise historic occasion for this psalm. Most commentators think it was probably written sometime after the Babylonian captivity and after the people had been um, brought out of captivity captivity and brought back to the land. And if you remember, the people went back and they, they rebuilt their homes and they got their businesses going again. But God had to come through the prophets and rebuke them because his house, his, ta- his temple, was still in absolute disarray. 
and uh, they were not giving attention to the things of the Lord. And, and maybe that's the occasion here, where the people are back physically, and, and God is blessing them in the sense of um, they're able to start rebuilding their life, but there's a spiritual deadness and decay that's not right, and, and the, the psalmist is begging for God to restore them. Lord, you were favorable to your land. He remembers the God's grace. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You brought us back. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew your wrath and turned from your hot anger. The, the, the return from captivity was an amazing display of, of God's grace. They were there for a reason, weren't they? They were in, Babylonian, in, in Babylon for a reason, and the reason was their incredible wickedness, their idolatry, their... Um, Lack of concern for the covenant of God and the, and the ways of God. They, they, they just wanted to be like the other nations. And, and God warned them over and over through the prophets. And they would just kill the prophets. So they're in, Babylonia, in, in Babylon for a reason. God is disciplining them. And he would have been perfectly just just to leave them there. And let them die out as a nation and cease to exist. That's what happened to the northern ten tribes of Israel. A hundred or so years earlier, uh, the Assyrians had come and captured the northern ten tribes. And they were never heard from again. They just disappear from um, the scene, from history. They get, they get spread all over and they intermarry and they do not come back. Well, God could have justly done that to the southern tribes as well, but he doesn't. He shows mercy and grace in an amazing way, and he restores their fortunes, forgave their iniquity, covered their sin, and withdrew his wrath. Hasn't God done the same for you? Has God ever done that for you? Just showed you mercy you didn't deserve? Came to you when you weren't looking for him? Uh, maybe you were running headlong in your sin, in your stupidity? And God just got your attention. He interrupted your plans for sin. I can remember specifically times in my life where I had a plan to walk in a path of sin and God just, whoo, closed the door. Very, very gracious. Uh, maybe the Lord just got your attention through a sermon or a song or, or someone talked to you and you woke up and God brought you back. He brought conviction of sin and gave you the grace to repent and and you found uh, his forgiveness and his grace again. God restored you. And, and that's why you're still a Christian today. Right? God, God didn't leave you go like he let, the, Assyrian, like he let the, the, the tribes of the north go to the Assyrians. He didn't let you go. He, he brought you back. And the question is why? Why did God do that? And, and why would the psalmist here pray with, uh, with some expectation that God is, is going to restore uh, them as well? And the answer is um, God's covenant nature. And if you notice in these first few verses here, uh, the, the use of the second possessive personal pronoun, right? Your, you were favorable to your land. And you forgave the iniquity of your people. Uh, the, the writer is reminding God that, that they are the people of God. They're Jacob. That's their covenant name. And, and God has entered into a covenant relationship with them and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and God promised that he would be their God and they would be his people. And he promised that forever. And he promised to show his steadfast love, his hesed, his, his, his mercy that will never stop. And that's, that's how the, what the psalmist remembers. And, and so that's how he prays. 
Uh, the, the God he's praying to is the God who's made covenant with them. And, and on the basis of that, he then appeals for God's grace to be displayed today in their present need. And that's what we find in verses 4 through 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put away your indignation toward us. Restore us again. Israel needs restorative grace again. After all that God has done, it's one of the the painful realities of, of the Christian life is the recognition that we need God's restorative grace again and again and again, and we will all through our life. We never get to the point where we're like, no, we're fine. We got this all figured out. Um, You can give your grace to somebody else. We need it over and over and over. We need to go back to the Lord after he's blessed us so richly and say, Lord, we wandered again. And we, we fell into that same sin again. And we need your forgiveness and your grace again. And, and that's where the author is, that's, that's, that's where he's praying. Lord, we're, we're in this again place. Uh, there's this gap between what we ought to be and what we are. What we ought to be, given in light of the mercy that God had showed to them, the kindness that God had shown to them, Israel ought to have been this people that was just in, enraptured with God, joyfully worshiping Him, eagerly going about uh, His business, happily, happily, happy to serve Him in the world of that day. Uh, they should have been just a people enthused and filled with a zeal for God, and they're just not. They're interested in the, in the same things everybody else in the world is interested in. And they've forgotten about God. They've neglected the things of God. There's spiritual apathy and growing worldliness, and, and they need God's help again. And, and notice the writer senses that their spiritual malaise is due to God's indignant response to their sin. And so he says, put away your indignation. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? The, the writers of the Old Testament have a sense that when when Israel is in, a spirit, in spiritual trouble, that's, God has in some sense turned his face away. That God is responding to their chosen disobedience, their chosen rebellion. And in a sense, God is saying, fine, if that's, if that's the way you want to go, I'm going to leave you to that. But the writers recognize, uh, God, this is your initial response, but it's not going to be your ongoing response, is it? Will you be angry forever? You're not going to be... You won't be angry forever, will you, God? Please, please turn. Please help us to change. Make us aware again of our need for grace and our need for you. And just wake us up, God. I love what it says in uh, Jeremiah 31. Turn me and I shall be turned. Turn me and I shall be turned. God change my heart. You know, one of the most important things for us to remember in, in times of spiritual weakness and sickness is, is that God alone can help us. There's not a program that's going to fix this. There's, there's not a series of just simple things to do. God alone can change our hard heart and, and make it a heart of flesh. God alone can give us the grace of true repentance, and, and so we need to ask for it. Only God can revive us. Only God can revive a, a church. And so that's what we pray. I, I, I hope you pray that prayer when you get to the end of a long day and you collapse in bed and just realize it just wasn't a good day spiritually. You were, you were dabbling about with sin. You were 
uh, living out of the flesh. You were impatient. You were unthankful. You were lustful. You were proud. You didn't bless anybody as far as you can tell. And you just realized it was a waste of day today. I did, I did not live for the glory of Jesus today. And then you turn to the Lord and you say, Father, you know, forgive me for today. It was not a good day. But give me restorative grace. Wake me up tomorrow morning with a, with a new desire to serve you, a new desire to love you and, and to walk with you. Uh, give me a humble heart tomorrow so that I can, I can live in a new way. You see, restore me. That's the prayer. Don't, don't leave me here. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be this person. I, I know that you have more for me in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have more for me than this. I want to know how to love God. I want to know how, I want to, know how to love people. I, I want to see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I hope you've prayed those prayers. God loves to hear them and loves to answer them. The, the, the writer, as he prays, you can see this growing expectancy. Verse 6, will you not revive us again? That your, pe that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, your covenant hesed, your covenant mercy, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. Don't leave us here. Do the work of restorative grace in our life, in our time, in our day. Do it now. Do it in our presence. You find a similar prayer in Habakkuk 3, 1. Lord, I've, I've heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. That's the longing of God's people of old and it's the longing of, of God's people today when you find that you're in just in, in, in a spiritually sick, weak place. And as the psalmist continues in his prayer, you'll notice that he, he has genuine confidence and expectation in verses 8 through 13 as he trusts in God's grace. Let me hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Let me hear what God will say. In prayer, we talk to God, and then we wait for the Lord to respond. Not, not audibly, but, but by His Spirit and through His Word and by His, by his actions, His dealing. What, what, what will God say? And, and the, the, the psalmist has, has confidence that He will speak peace to His saints. He's convinced of it. Why? Well, because he knows his God. He knows that God is a God of steadfast love. He knows that, that God's displeasure is his strange work and, and mercy is his, his precious work. You, you'll, you'll never find in the Bible God taking delight in expressing wrath. He does it because he's just and holy and he's committed to his glory. And so he does, never apologizes. But, but he, takes, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that they turn and live. His, he delights, the Bible says, to show mercy. He rises himself to show mercy. And the psalmist then knows his God, what kind of God he is, and that he's a God of steadfast love. And so he appeals then specifically, just like David does in Psalm 51, right? According to your 
steadfast love, according to your compassion, according to your mercy. Have mercy on me, forgive my sin. But also, the, the psalmist remembers what God has promised. That's the wonderful thing about being a child of God. God has recorded himself. He's gone on record with things that he's promised to his people. And, and the psalmist might well be remembering God's promise to Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear. I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. That is a direct promise from the mouth of God. And he means every word of it. And we honor, we honor him when we take him at his word, when we take his promises in hand, and we, we present those promises before the throne of grace as, as the content of our prayer and the basis for our confidence. And we just say, Lord, you said, you promised if my people would pray, and we're praying. And Lord, it says in your word that you act on behalf of those who wait for you. And Lord, we're here and we're waiting for you. We honor the Lord wonderfully when we, when we remind God of his gracious character. You are a God of steadfast love. You are a God who makes and keeps covenant. And, and, and you are a God who's promised us that your spirit will dwell within us and that by your spirit you will transform us. And, and we take those promises to the throne of God and we believe that God is actually willing to do that. One of the things that, that I think uh, churches, the mistake that we easily make, conservative churches, reformed churches even, easily make is talking about the promises of God and talking about the character of God and, and yet not laying hold of it in, in a very tangible, personal, practical way and, 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 and teaching God's people to, to take this now for yourself. This isn't a theology to acknowledge. This is the living God as He is and as He presents Himself and, and we are called then to lay hold of, of that in, in truth, in prayer, in faith, God, this is the kind of God you are, and this is the need that we have. This is where we are, and we need you to respond. You see, living faith has that present tense character to it. A living faith isn't just believing in things that God has done in the past, the things that God did right, for Israel of old, or things that God did in, in Jesus Christ. We need to believe those things. That's the essential foundation of the faith. But what living faith does is, is in the present, we take those acts of God to ourselves. And we believe that God is willing to act today in our life. To do things that we can't do for ourselves. To do miracles in our own heart, in our own life. And, and to believe then that because, you see, God has done these things in the past, because he's done these things in Jesus Christ, and because he's promised these things to us, and because of the, the, the gracious character of God, we can be confident that as we pray, God will move. God will pour out his grace on me today and every day of, in my life until I'm in heaven, right? As David says in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
That's the confidence that we can have. That's the confidence that we can have as, as we listen and, and hear God speak peace to us, to His saints, His holy ones. But let them not turn back to folly. If you notice that in the psalm, but let them not turn back to folly. God, God speaks peace, but, but calls us then to be serious about the things of God. One of the, one of the signs, one of the, the evidences of a genuine work of the Holy Spirit is a seriousness about God, a seriousness about holiness, a seriousness about grace and about prayer about Christ, about heaven and hell, just a seriousness. I, I, re, I remember Sinclair Ferguson once saying that the uh, most tangible evidence of the Holy Spirit that, he, that he'd had in his ministry, he was 25 years old and he was preaching as a guest at a church and, and after the service he went out uh, back, uh, stood outside the door to shake hands and nobody was coming out. And so he he stood and waited, thought maybe there was some part of the liturgy he'd, he'd missed or whatever, but people just weren't. And so finally he goes back in the building and he says, no one was moving. There was just a holy seriousness. And he said, it wasn't because it was a great sermon. I was 25 years old. I barely was beginning to preach. I, it, it was simply the Holy Spirit of God had come and there were, there were tangible evidences following that event of of people's lives being transformed. They had, maybe for the first time in their life, gotten serious with God. That's what the Spirit does. That's what we want to see in our life. That God is just moving us to a seriousness about Himself and about His call, about His love for us, about what it means to belong to Him and live for Him. Seriousness about God's character so that we reverence and, and fear Him. That's the biblical word, that we fear God with His holy awe and reverence. We don't want to sin against Him. We, we want to we serve Him. We want to honor Him. We, we, we want to glorify Him because He's God. In Psalm, in verse 9, we find that God promises to bless that spirit. He says, surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him that glory may dwell in our land. Salvation is near to those who have that spirit-given seriousness. And the glory that God gives is a beautiful thing. The psalmist writes of it in verses 10 through 13. The, the, the glory that, that dwells in the land looks like the gracious attributes of God just poured out upon the people and enmeshed in the life of His people it's, it's so poetic the way he writes it, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other, the gracious attributes of God coming together right in, in the presence of his people. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. Righteousness looks down from the sky. There's, just, there's an experience of, of God at work in grace. God doing what only God can do. And his, his attributes, his character, particularly his gracious attributes and character, being manifested in this, in this beautiful way as God is restoring the souls of his people. And his righteousness and his peace are, are kissing in, in our presence. We, we see and taste 
the goodness of God and, and his salvation. Uh, friends, that happens in the truest sense, I believe, when we've gathered together in worship to remember and to embrace our Lord Jesus Christ because in Jesus you see this happening in the most perfect way. The righteousness of God and the peace of God embrace and kiss in the cross of Jesus Christ where his holy law, his justice is satisfied and his, his love uh, accomplishes its purposes. We, we see in the cross, in Christ, right, the steadfast love of God in the most astounding way where God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and we see the faithfulness of God manifested with perfect clarity in Christ, that, that God was, has been faithful to his promise to save and God is faithful still today to all those who would believe in Christ and, and come to him. And be, because of Jesus, you see, we, we can pray, Lord, do this in our life today. We can pray it with confidence. Restore me. Revive us. Draw us back to yourself. One of the things that struck me uh, when I first, as a young, young guy, started um, attending First Assembly of God for, for a while, one of the things that really shocked me was Wayne Benson would he'd pre he'd preach a sermon like this, and then at the end of the, the sermon, um, the organ would start playing something softly, and, and Wayne would just make an appeal for the altar call. And I had no idea what to do with that. I'd never heard a minister do that before. Um, where Wayne just said, where he would say, at the end of a sermon like this, Wayne would say, maybe tonight you're the person who needs to be restored. Um, you're stuck in some sin. Maybe nobody knows about it. Or you just know that there's something about your life that's fundamentally not the way it ought to be. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your devotional life for lack of it. Maybe it's a business practice. Maybe it's what you're doing with your sexuality. But something's not the way it ought to be. And if you've been listening, God's been talking. And he's talking to you. He's not talking to the air. Right? He's talking to people just like us. And God's calling you and me to be serious with him. And, and Wayne would say, if, if, if that's you tonight, um, I'd like you to raise your hand and, and then he'd invite people to come forward and, and there would be people there to pray with him. I'm not going to ask you to come forward tonight. But what I liked about the altar call, and I, there's things I don't like about it. What I like about the altar call is that it honored the Lord by believing that God intends to do a work today. It's not just a truth to be heard. It's a truth to be received and acted upon. It honored the Lord in that. And, and, and it also gave people a very practical step to take. Just to stand up and be willing to be known as the person who needs to be restored. That's a really important step. It humbles pride. Uh, it it just confesses the truth in a safe place. 
And then, it, and, then, and then you had something that you could do. You, you, you would go and you would, you would pray with someone and they would then help you move forward. And so what I would like to do tonight, I don't think this psalm is irrelevant uh, to us. I think, I think in, in, in all of our lives to some degree, if, if, if I would say, you know, raise your hand if you need restorative grace. I need restorative grace. I need God to do a work and, and just wake me up and make me love him in a way that's worthy of him and love others. And so what I'd, what I'd like to do is we're just going to take a moment of silent prayer. And I'm going to ask you, if, if, if you need that, would you just deal with God seriously tonight and just ask him to do that work? And then I'd like to also ask you this, that you would commit yourself to talk to one person this week about that. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's an elder, pastor, that you would just talk to one person and say, you know what, and invite them to pray for you for that. I think that step of humility is an important step in growth, where we're serious, we're actually serious about the things of God. And if there's, as you're praying, just like I ask you to think before the Lord, is there anything that needs to be specifically confessed? and turned from tonight. And, and then what steps is God, does God want you to take up to actively put that sin aside or to, to start engaging functionally, practically in, in that battle? And, and, and who are you going to walk with in it? And so we're just going to take some time to pray and believe that God will speak peace to us as we wait on him as we are serious with him. Let's just bow our heads and I'm just going to leave for a moment for a while for us just to talk in our heart in truth to the Lord and ask for his grace. Let's pray. Our Father, 
Well, thank you, Lord, that we can, we can just come and talk to you about our need, about our sin. Lord, we are people who need your help. We need your power and your grace and because we, we so easily wander. And, and Jesus, you know all the ways, the paths that we've, we've taken that are contrary to your will. Lord, I just pray that tonight by your spirit, Lord, we'd be serious with you and we would we'd confess our sin the laziness, the lust, the pride, the self-dependence, the impatience, Lord, all the sins that plague us, all because, Lord, we are, we're busy with so many things and our hearts are not set on you and we're not thankful. We're not at peace. We're not energized with the joy of the Lord. So we're weak. And Jesus, we don't want to be weak. We don't, we, don't, we, want, we don't want to be self-sufficient, but Lord, we would love for the joy of the Lord to be our strength. And, and we'd love for the Holy Spirit to be at work so that we're able to stand and resist our besetting sins. And, and we're able, Lord, in, in meekness, and humility to confess and to grow in the grace of Jesus and, and begin to love people in a new way. Oh, Jesus, we're, so, we're vastly more needy than we know. And I just, I pray, Jesus, because you are the king and because you're the one who died for us and because you've promised us that you will, you will sanctify us by your power Lord, do that work. And, and I pray, Lord, as, as, we have, as we begin to reach out to others and ask them to pray for us and with us, Jesus, I pray that you would bring a, a, a renewing wind of, of spiritual power into our lives and into this church so that there's a holy joy in Jesus Christ and it, an increasing hunger for, for godliness and to bear fruit for your kingdom, to, li to live our lives for things that matter eternally, not for fleeting things in a passing world. And so, Jesus, we're, we're, bef we're before you. We're, we're waiting on you. And will you not restore us and revive us that we may rejoice in your steadfast love? We pray these things in the confidence, O oh God, that you hear us and that you will speak peace to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and we're going to sing, Great Shepherd who leadest thy people in love. This is taken from Psalm 84. Let's stand to sing.
Um, just something in your life that needs to be dealt with in truth and the Spirit's been talking to you tonight um, I'm just going to stay up front here um, I'm going to ask Elder Steve to be up front here and any other elders who'd like to join us and if you would just like to come for prayer we would love to pray with you and just take that first step tonight as we um, as we seek God's restorative grace and I mean that sincerely receive now his blessing now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good for doing his will, working in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.